Hi everyone, I'm Lucas Mack and welcome to another episode of The Golden Rule Revolution, where inspiration and purpose come from treating people like people and nothing less. All right, I've had quite a bit of guests over the series of The Golden Rule Revolution, but none I think so interesting, so powerful and profound as my guest today, Chumahan Bowen. He is my brother. He is a powerful, he's an attorney. He's a, a, I call him a philosopher, a wise sage, and he is an American Indian from the Northwest, the Puyallup tribe, and he also has the name Medicine Bear, which he will dispense that power, I'm sure, in this episode. So Chumahan, my brother, thank you for joining the Golden Rule Revolution. Thank you very much for having me, Lucas. And as I don't know if everybody knows, but they should know that Lucas has an official Indian name, which is Standing Bear, because he's so tall and he's hairy, but also <laughs> because he's got vision. He can see very, very, very far. He can see very, very far. So thank you very much for having me. That was an awesome introduction. Oh, brother, thank you. I remember when you gave me that name, and I still I actually screen captured it and saved it. It's uh, Standing Bear, who sees far and is unafraid. Standing That's true. Bear, sees far and is unafraid. That's true. Yeah. So I'm Bear Clan. So I'm I'm Bear Clan. So so you said Piaup Indian tribe. I grew up on the Piaup Indian tribe because my dad was their attorney. This is before uh, casinos, and my dad actually was part of the task force that started Indian gaming, which started out as bingo and eventually they went to uh washington dc and they started indian gaming as a way to make money for the indian tribes which at that time were totally stuck on federal funds living in poverty uh and all of the abuses and problems that go along with that now a lot of tribes are self-sustaining they're buying up more land and adding it to their reservations they're buying businesses starting new businesses and now they're really have a huge presence in the 21st century economy. It's partly due to my father, but wow. I am Jamestown Sklalom, uh, ah, which is yes. from, from the Squim area. That means strong people, and, uh, but it's in the same area, the Northwest. Sorry, brother. That's right, Sklalom. That's, that's, uh, that's right. Well, you have, um, you have, you're, you have so much. We, I, Lauren, my wife was talking about, oh, he's going to be such a great guest because he has so much. <laughs> and like, your story is so fascinating. I think just media-wide, when you look at the, the social media landscape in the United States, you see very little American Indian present presence, if you will. Right. That, that, and you not only are that but you have embraced your the beauty that you are and were gifted with in this world and your your beautiful hair and all that you are brother and i i just love it man you are such a you're um like this pleasant disruption and it's so important because you have something to say so I do. <laughs> you do have something my dad say. used to call me motor mouth my dad was like hey come here motor mouth That's awesome. <laughs> You know, when, when you, my dad was an attorney, when an attorney calls someone else a motor mouth, you know they talk a lot. That is a great phrase. That is a great phrase. So tell, tell us what it, um, life was like growing up for you. 
All right, so you said pleasant disruption, and I really appreciate that. And I think that's, that's, that's key because um, there are so many aspects of my story, not to sound uh, self-focused, but, but it is, it's very different. Number one, I grew up on an Indian reservation, the Puyallup Indian Reservation. The reason why this is uh, a little bit different is because this is a city reservation. Most people think of like, oh, you know, you know, North Dakota and the Plains and all this other stuff. What people don't realize is that there are so many different reservations that were created, and some of them, cities grew up in them. Sometimes the government didn't even recognize the treaty for like 70 years, and they built up the city, then they lose a court case, and now the city is part of the reservation. I grew up in that, an urban Indian. When we still had sweat lodges, and we, I went to Chief Leshai, uh Indian elementary school, we sang Indian songs at the beginning of school, and then when we left, fish head soup uh, was served in the cafeteria, all that. But at the same time, it was also very modern. And so, uh, so that's one thing that's a little bit different. Another thing that's different is I just grew up with just my father. My mother was never in my life, not a, not a postcard, not a, <laughs> not a birthday card, uh, which was a terrible wound uh, that I carry, that I still carry. I still carry that, mm -hmm. but especially when I was younger, there was none of, you know, growing up in America, it's always like, don't you talk about my mom, but in my experience, it was completely opposite of that. I had none of that. Mm -hmm. It was just my dad, who was an attorney, uh, who did some great things, but was a troubled guy, man. He was obese, 400 pounds, so already that puts me in another category of, I, I'm sure some people listening to this, what's the, what's the trauma, what's the difficulty growing up with an obese parent. Like, you know they're obese, they know they're obese, they're on death's door all the time. And you go out in public and you've got to pretend like you don't know because it's not polite to say my dad's fat or whatever, but you, you know something's wrong. It's an elephant that's in the room that you can't, you got to shove that down. So no mother, obese parent, Indian, not full blood, but on the reservation. So that also antagonizes one. Very early, early on I saw that it doesn't matter, it could be any group. It could be any group. But any group can oppress its own members. Hmm. Like the larger one, the smaller one, the middle one. And, and that's why I feel like, you know, identities and identity politics are super important. They're not, listen, I'm not here to say no one do identity politics because they are important. But I always feel like it's important to also remember that Groups, forming groups in it of itself is an oppressive action because somebody's got to be on the outside of that. That's right. And, and so in the United States, on the one hand, if you don't have a group, you don't got power. It's not going to happen. But on the flip side is, is that there's a lot of people inside that group that don't fit the definition perfectly and they're suffering. Mm. So all of that at a very early age caused me to have a very jaundiced eye. I think I might have even been... I think I was skeptical already in my DNA. Like every little picture of me as a little kid, I'm always looking at the camera like, I don't know. I hear what you're saying, but <laughs> I don't know. Which sets me up to be a, a writer and a, an, and a lawyer perfectly because now I, you know, I don't take very many things at, at face value. Mm. The good intentioned or the no intentioned or the ill intentioned. Mm. All of these messages, all these thoughts that come across uh, our path uh, there's something more if you if you drill down all of it. Hmm. 
I've heard one of the early episodes in this podcast series, I say labels are the most dangerous. I, I believe it's the most dangerous application in society. And usually people think of labels like labeling someone else, like, oh, those are the, and then fill in the blank. But right. actually, I believe when we take on a label, it's what you're saying is we are trying to fit into a group and it immediately separates us from, from another person. So even if it's black, white, gay, straight, liberal, conservative, all these things, it's immediately put, pitting us against someone else as opposed to understanding that our souls are what unite us. We all have the same soul you know, in our lungs. The breath in our lungs is a value. So if I don't stand for you, regardless of whatever title you take, I don't stand for you. I don't stand for me because eventually, like you said, the, the groups will inevitably impose, you know, the stronger group will inevitably impose their will on, on the weaker group. And so the thing about labels and here's the thing, right? It's common. The common approach is that it's a language issue. Everybody knows this, that since Derrida, whatever, Language. Language is problematic. And the people have talked about it time and time again about language being problematic. And it can be, absolutely can be. But the, but, but the reality is there's no other way to communicate. That's the reality. You know, and I, I'm like, my name is Chumahan, which is interesting because it's, it's an Indian name. And but, I mean, when I was like four years, I have a white name, which is Benjamin. And my dad asked me, like, hey, what do you want to go by for the rest of your life? Like at four, right? I'm sitting wow. there. Like, what do you want to go by? You want to go by Chumahan or do you want to go by Benjamin? And I picked Chumahan. And as a result, that, that, that took me out. That put me outside of a lot of things. But, and you wonder, like, what's in a name? Like, hmm. I always am fascinated that it doesn't strike anyone as odd that there's 50,000 Toms. Like, what does that do to you as a person when you have a name that you already know so many other people have, that it's already so common, it doesn't have, it's extra. And this is probably why there's such a thing as nicknames. This is why. And in every culture you go to, there's a name and then there's a nickname. American Indians, actually, on a lot of different tribes, they've had like four or five names. Sitting Bull had four or five names. Wow. From an organizing principle, uh, like from a nation standpoint, right, it makes sense that you would um, really control names and make sure everyone has one official name because they need to count people and they also, that makes some sense from a practical standpoint, but it does bring you down to what does it do to a four-year-old, hmm. a five-year-old, a six-year-old that is just commonly accepted that Everyone's got the same name, and then at the same time, you're bombarded with this concept, which is another great American concept, but it's like, you need to distinguish yourself. You are unique. There's nobody like you, but at the same time, you're the 50,432nd time. <laughs> very odd. Yeah. It's a yeah. very odd thing. Yeah, that's right. So when you think about like the problem of language, it's like, well, you know what? Uh, but then what do we do mm. faced with the dilemma? Like, what is there to do? And there's a lot of great theorists that talk about it. Um, and when one guy that I, that I think is interesting is Slavoj Zizek. And one of the examples that he brings up a lot is Malcolm X. And what he said about what, what Malcolm X did was his last name, right, because of slave culture and all that other kind of stuff, he threw that off and said, I'm going to be the X 
But what, what Zizek likes about the X is that it's an unknown, that it's an open container. Hmm. That the X means that it can be anything he decides it's going to be and even contradictory. Yeah. Certain, certain things could be contradictory within the X and Flavoy's and a lot of others, not just him, Catherine Malibu, a lot of other people approach at the higher levels the realization that, that a lot of people who do branding know, which is, yes, there is a label. Yes, it is dangerous if you let the label take control of you to drive you into being something you're not. Absolutely. But that's because you're ceding it's your authority to the label. Let, words only mean what we decide they mean. That's Words right. only mean what we decide they mean, which is why you can have something like a word like sick, right? Yeah. That initially is a bad thing that eventually comes to mean something good. That's right. right? Like or, or on the flip side, you can have the word love, which originally is a good thing, yeah. but it's become a word that is associated with bad things and people don't like the word anymore. Exactly. Or I love, you know, how was your day? I loved, you know, whatever. I love the movie, but that's not love. And you're right. It's, I'll tell you right now, I'm on a mission. This is so cool that we're talking about this. I'm on a mission to take back the words from abusers that have taken language to control and manipulate society. Absolutely. An abuser doesn't get to tell me what love is. Love is the root word in Hebrew means ahava, which means to give. Love always Mm. gives. Our greatest mm. good. Love always gives. But they, the abusers came in and said, love and associated with taking away. Take away right. my security, safety, self-worth, value, uh, uh, feeling okay. You know, all these things. Right. And then society writes songs like love hurts. <laughs> you know, that's never right. love. Love never hurts. That love well, so never the, hurt. The thing is, 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 so the question then becomes like really – it's about whether or not, and a lot of people are not encouraged to think for themselves and to mm. take inventory of the words or the labels or their identity, whatever they think they are, right? They, they're not encouraged to take stock of that and say like, you know what? I agree with this quality and I'm going to, I am going to add this quality to the label that I've adopted for myself. Mm. I'm going to take charge of that. Yeah. I, it's my responsibility. I own it. Yes. And that's, I believe, what is meant by owning, like, your identity or your label. The issue is, is, like, uh, you know, are you going to stand up and say, you know what, I'm no longer going to surrender to default meaning. I'm not going to surrender to the default. Somebody else said it. Uh, they, they claim to be an authority. Maybe they even were. And I'm going to submit to that. And I'm going to live within the prison of their meaning. And the question is, is I'm going to stand up. And I'm going to use my voice and use my, my, my strength to say, you know what? This word also means this. <laughs> so good. This is so good. I hope it's, everyone listening, listen, rewinds, go back and listen to what Chumahan just said. This is the permission. You, we are granting you permission to reclaim your own sovereign authority for your mind, for your body, for your soul, for your spiritual worldview, for your, for your ability to articulate your own self-value. It's not a derivative of anyone else's, as Chumahan said, me. They're, they're, right. they're passed down 
me to you is not your me. That's, right. that's amazing. That's amazing. Right. Yeah. And I love, I love when you talk, you know, it's interesting that we're talking about abusers um, because I grew up and, um, and, and I had abusers that were women. Mm. I had abused. So like, it, it's interesting because uh, a lot of times, and it's true, abusers are men. But then every so often you have, um, you have these abusers that are women and it's even hard for culture at large to really envision or see women as a predator, that some women could be predators. Yes. And, you know, growing up, I had a, 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 an aunt that molested me when I was like six. Wow. Like six. And, 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 and also uh, uh, had a relationship with my stepmother when I was 15. Wow. And she's 32. It didn't even dawn on me. At the, and the way culture so set up, for the longest time, I thought that I carried around the shame that, like, I must have wanted that. I'm a, you know, uh, I'm a guy. I'm a red-blooded male. And that, that's the fantasy an older woman and all that other kind of stuff. But what no one ever told me was that you're also going to feel ashamed. Mm. You're also never going to trust women. You're also going to see marriage as a potential blind spot. And, you know, it's, it, what, what, what all that really did to me one of the biggest marks, and I, I no longer look at it as a negative thing at all. I, I see it as an empowering thing. But wherever I am at, I mean, we could be at a buffet. I could be sitting down with the president. I could be in a business meeting, whatever it is. If there's kids around adults, I don't even know if you, can, if you identify with this, Lucas. If there's kids around adults, all of a sudden something goes on, like a radar goes on. And no matter what I'm doing, I'm also paying attention to the body language. Mm. And then I, and if I see something that it just looks a little off to me, it, 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 it just reverberates. I see it. I feel like I see it. Oftentimes I'm not in a situation, you know, it might be the way somebody holds or hugs or, yeah. or, or, or plays around with the kid and it's not their parent, parent or whatever it is. But the minute I see it or I hear a language that sounds a little bit inappropriate, like just a touch. Yep. It, does it, I mean, do you identify with that? Do you have a radar that clicks on? A hundred percent. I call it uh, nuance. It, I have become a master because of the way I had to grow up. I've become right. a master at nuance. And like, it's not what someone says. It's what they're saying when they're saying it. And they don't know sometimes they're saying it. Or, uh, you know, I joke around like, when I used to be in victim mode, trying to keep myself safe all the time, I felt right. like I was a deer in the woods and like, wait, something, right. there was a, a twig, a leaf fell somewhere, but it wasn't the right, <laughs> you know, something, something's off. And be, but also I do that in social circumstances. Like I'm, it's hypervigilance because yeah, I do recognize, I know what's, you know it and I know it cause we've gone through it and we see it and, and, Dude, I'm telling you right now. Oh, go for it. Go I've, for it. I, I, I've been in situations like I, my wife, you know, I've overcome a lot. So now I have a daughter. She's three weeks old. I love her. I have a wife, right? And I believe her, uh, her name is Tigra, Tigra Sarah, by the way. But yeah. the thing, <laughs> she's amazing. But the thing is, is like, I, and I have close people who know my story a little bit. And so like, we can go to like a, a church service or whatever it is. Right. And then I'll see something 
I mean, I will see something that, you know, it's not, you can't indict anybody for it. It's, a, right. it's like I said, it's, it's the way they're holding hands. Yep. Right. And you're supposed to not look. And so I've like, along with the nuance, I've also become hyper vigilant about blind spots in culture. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's like places in culture where you're not even supposed to suspect there's a problem. Like, you're not supposed to suspect that there's sexual abuse going on or there's an inappropriate line being crossed in certain circumstances. And, and, and to even think that way sometimes, people will be like, well, what's wrong with you? That you would even yeah, see they that. Turn it, they turn it back on you, right. But you know there's like certain doctor situations, yep. certain uh, you know, mentorship situations where yep. you, I almost can feel the tension because you're not supposed to look there and you got to believe. like. Like, I don't know if you saw the, the documentary, the Michael Jackson. Uh, oh, yeah. Right? Yep. Right? And you can see clearly, like, wow, there was a huge blind spot. Right. Like, now hindsight's 20, 20 Everybody knows now. But at the time, right, this guy with this childhood that he never had, and he just wants to, you know, romp around with the boys upstairs. And right. you're not supposed to even question that because it's so innocent. Right. All of that for me now, because of what I went through, it's like always on. Okay. I've, uh, I've, never, I've never shared this on a podcast, but I, it's the perfect opportunity to, um, you know, my, my friend Larry, who introduced me to, uh, to ALA where you and I first met. Have you ever, yeah. you, you know, Navy SEAL 10 year, Navy SEAL Larry. yeah, medically retired, <laughs> a, a hero, but I always had a, um, a theory that I developed based on what we're talking about, my upbringing, that normal people don't weird you out. Only weirdos weird you out. So if someone's a right. weird you out, it's because they're a weirdo. And I, and I talked to Larry about that one day and he said, you know, there's a, physiolo a physiological, our body has triggers to know if you're in an elevator, something's not right. That's because something's not right. It's not. Totally and, agree. And we ignore these these sensors and we some people just shut them off or they don't want they're to just not in touch with themselves and not to touch with go off. yeah exactly right i totally agree with that and that's and, and like i have interns and i have assistants that work with me in my law practice and you know the field of law is one of authority right you have yes. a judge he's got a higher chair than everybody else and there's yes. all this authority and the senior partner and blah 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 but in my discussions with them, because this doesn't extend itself just to like molestation, let's say, but it also in negotiation, mm. right? Like a negotiation or a business partnership or even analysis of a case. Mm. And I always urge them, like, if you feel like you can't articulate it yet, but if you think something's off, it's because something's off. Yes. 100%. 100%, 100%. And you know what we do? You know the, con the term gaslighting? Mm -hmm. Gaslighting is to tell someone that their experience did not happen. So right. narcissists do this to people over time and destroy people's brains where eventually they can lose their mind. They're not even, what happened? Did it happen? I don't know what happened, you know, and it's, it's a form of control. However, we gaslight ourselves in, in society when we don't acknowledge that trigger. When right. we Oh, something's off. Oh no, something's not off. Well, that's a form of self gaslighting. We don't need Absolutely. narcissists to come, come in and gaslight us when most of society is gaslighting themselves. Well, because it's so dangerous. 
it's so it's so dangerous, Lucas, because if you are feeling that and you decide I'm not going to gaslight myself, I am going to follow this thread. It is going to lead potentially to a confrontation mm. and some memories that you would rather not know. Mm. Some memories you'd rather let go. And you, you see that all the time. Business, you know, taking it out of this realm and go, like going in, there's a lot of business that takes advantage of that aspect, which is why a lot of people aren't getting paid what they're worth. They're so trained to be afraid to chase down like what's going on or, or to ask for what they want or to know that it's not quite right or whatever you want to call it uh, because they might lose their job. There's a risk. The downside is, is I think it's almost impossible to develop self-confidence mm. if you do not follow those leads that are going on inside of you. You don't have the, the courage somewhere inside of you, you know it. Mm. And that even takes on its own shame because, cause, and it works a lot in this way where it's like, well, if I didn't say anything, then I'm complicit. Then, right. then right, my silence is somehow complicit, even if it's, even if it's not anything super negative, but it's just a, a weird family drama or whatever it is, which is right. why I'm always, and I tell you something, I'll tell you this straight up. And if anybody out there that is listening to this, listen to this, because I have family members, right? Who I would ask about family history all the time, dig and dig and dig and dig and dig and question and question and question all the time. And, and some things don't add up and blah, blah, all the way up to grandparents, great-grandparents. Because I'm trying to understand the fucked up family that I come from. That's what I'm trying to do. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, uh, and invariably, they always say, like, why are you asking? It doesn't matter. Or um, there's nothing there. I don't know. There's nothing there. But 100% of the time, there's always one more thing behind that. Hmm. There's always one, no matter what the protest is, no matter what they say, there's nothing there. I swear to God, it's, it's, you know, I don't know. He just liked Apple, whatever their thing is, that short circuit yeah. that closes off the inquiry. There's always something beyond that. Always. And so that's why I always tell people, I'm like, if you feel like there's more to the story, there's more to the story. Hmm. That is that I did this podcast. Um, it might've been last week's podcast episode, the solution for society. And I talked about love, um, and redefining love, but also courage. We have a right. lack of courage in, in, yeah. we have a lack of courageous leaders. We're not raising courageous people. We're raising, and, and I want to make sure we define courage. Courage is seeing fear perhaps even feeling the fear, but doing something anyway. And John Wayne said, uh, courage is being afraid, but saddling up anyway. It's a very simple way to say, right. yeah, it, it's scary. It could cost me something, but it's the right thing to do. And I move forward and, and I attack. Right. And I am, I am standing for specifically well, all people, but specifically called to men in this narrative of macho-ness and tough guy and stuff it in and facade and veneer and, and wealth and materialism and all these things that they're deflecting 
I'm calling men to be courageous, to be vulnerable, to be courageous, to take your mask off, be courageous to heal, be courageous and tell the truth. And how about break generational curses and break generational lines of all the Chumahans and the Lucases out there that are just saying, tell the truth. What happened? Just say what happened. And it, boom, they could, you could free generations like this. This is the call that I am speaking forth to society right now. We must be courageous. And I don't believe the soul ends when the body dies. When the, when the lungs stop pumping breath is not when that soul's journey ends. And what a terrible concept to think. And I also don't believe in this concept of heaven, hell, the way it's been presented. But what a, what, um, what a knowing to carry beyond the lungs breath, knowing I could have and I didn't. Like what lesson you have to go learn after that moment when I could have said something, I could have spoken up, I could have been more vulnerable, I could have loved more, given more, been an invitation for more, but yet society just historically has shunned that narrative as being weak. But I say that's the most strong presence of strength you can ever give is to be vulnerable and to love. It's true. But this is what I'll say. This is interesting that we're talking about John Wayne because I'm American Indian. So <laughs> we have it. Right. Like, uh, okay. I'll say <laughs> <laughs> no, but listen, listen, this is, this is, this is really, um, this is, this is fascinating in the sense that, so what we're dancing around. So we live in, an, in a time of this sort of um, gender plasticity, gender fluidness. And, and to be sure, right, to be absolutely sure and clear, gender is a construct. There's no doubt in my mind about that. Yeah. And how do I know? Because um, <laughs> how do I know? First of all, American Indian warriors have a lot of feminine traits. Long hair, they have a beauty, da 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 da. But no one would ever accuse them of not being quote unquote masculine yes. or whatever you want to call it, right? And then you look at like John Wayne, and, and John Wayne, uh, for some, um, is a symbol of like, you know, male, macho, whatever it is. But if you look at John Wayne, and this goes right into my. So, Sometimes when I talk about these things, I think about it like, okay, well, you have quote unquote men, you have quote unquote women, and you have people like that are kind of all in between. But really behind all that, you've also got these concepts. Well, there's this masculine thing, and then there's this feminine thing, and you can have feminine men, and you can have masculine women. And if you look at history, it's just full of that. Harriet Tubman, yeah. fucking that lady that wanted to shut down drinking. I can't remember. Holly Matchett or Molly Hatchett or whatever. She, some of these women are probably... And it doesn't even say anything about their sexual choices either. So right. you have a masculine woman who has a hetero desire, or you're going to have a feminine man who's gay, or a feminine man who has a hetero desire. So all of these three levels, you have the social uh, definition of men and women, then you have this other thing which is called masculine and feminine, which really has nothing to do with gender, but it has something to do with your posture or your yes, energy. To receive and give. Yes, that's what I said. Yes. And then underneath that, you have something that's like a sexual orientation, which is, which is, and, and all of these, all of those three slide around and they all intermix, even yes. though at the surface level, we're trying to unify them all into like these really distinct. So, so when I think about John Wayne, right. And I'm like, you know, and I, and, 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 and this isn't a political show, so I'm not going to talk about politics, but I'll even say Donald Trump. 
right? Yeah. It's a fascinating thing because in our society, we've got, at least at the very large cultural level, you've got sort of two, two male types, quote unquote male types, that are supposedly masculine. You have the John Wayne Trump type, and then you have kind of like a, a Clint Eastwood type. Hmm. Or like a, um, silent, a burn stoic. Yeah, the silent. Yes, thing. right? Yes. So you got the loud guy, and yeah. then you got the, the, the silent. Now, now, my father was obese. He fell in line with the, the John Wayne style. Got it. And if you look at the John Wayne body, right, it's not what you would consider masculine. You know, big hips, a big belly. Uh, he's very loud. And even if you look at some of his older movies, the way he walks, He's got a strange, like, sachet when yeah. he walks, which is not. Then you look at the Clint Eastwood, the, the, the born identity types, and these guys are, like, full of self-control, right? They're quiet. And so while I wouldn't think about it so much as male or not, and if you look at the president, right, he's got this bouffant, you know, kind of whipped up, kind of like beehive hairdo thing going on and wide hips, and he's very loud, but very soft. And I think about that and I think, I, just, I don't even know if this goes along with your show, but the thing that I came <laughs> across great. was like, is, is that uh, masculine, masculine is, is taking it out of gender. There's something about masculine that's about self-control, hmm. right? If you take it out of gender, masculine is something about self-control, controlling your appetite, controlling your mouth being focused, being execution driven, like you're going to execute, you're going to get it done, yes. whatever it takes. Yes. And then the other side is a, as, is a, as a show of masculinity, but underneath it seems feminine. Hmm. And so what I see John Wayne, what I really see is somebody who's identified with a feminine, what he thinks is a feminine form, which may be his mother, a pregnant woman, yeah. a large, right? And then because of, society's expectations on top of it paints a very loud macho bravado hmm. like a very and think about it in a sense of, of even from a child aspect you know the the john wayne character is one that's known and notorious for drinking out of a yeah. bottle right which is kind of like something that babies do right like hmm. <laughs> oh, that was a bottle now i'm kicking out of, and so what i have to do is be very loud to demonstrate my masculinity because inside I actually might be more identified with the feminine powers. Hmm. Okay. I love where, I love where you're going. I stripping away. Cause I, I do, I reject the narrative of the feminine and masculine as genders. I, I think that's right. It's just, it's not even necessary. However, feminine, feminine and masculinity must be in balance with one another. This is what I, I teach, especially when I teach at the men's retreats, that feminine energy, if you just look at the X and Y chromosome, this is a, a, just from the scientific aspect, the X, an X can receive on all quadrants. It receives right. all quarters, not defensive. But the Y chromosome, which quote unquote creates the male gender, but the Y chromosome can only receive when it's in balance. Right. Men that don't, embrace their vulnerability don't have their ability to receive love and when they don't know that they are loved just the way they are they don't know how to give that love they don't have any capacity to contain the love because whatever for whatever reason they were hurt at an early age they will take this one-sided 
arm of the Y and protect the side that was been broken. And you're right, exactly what you're saying. Create this massive bravado and take more. Take more sex, drugs, alcohol, materialism, all the things to try to satiate the lack. And I really see men, what are men's roles? Because I'm watching these ancient civilization shows and they're going back. That was actually the women were the most fiercest warriors. Like these Amazonian women that there's this narrative of like, the women were the warriors. The men were more like, go get the food. And while we're going to get the food, we're like out. There's just different constructs of society. But I think the gender of the man or the male gender's purpose is to protect the feminine receiving of humanity. So I reject that Donald Trump's masculine or or John Wayne's masculine, or any of the macho, what I call macho men. That's not masculinity. Masculinity is protecting the vulnerability. And if you're not a protector of vulnerability, that's not masculinity. And this different narrative, I love that we're talking about this because, yeah, who's going to say the American Indian with their beautiful hair and wearing feathers and paint, essentially makeup, right? Yeah. Is not masculine that is masculine because they protected their their they they were protectors they weren't attackers they weren't abusers they i mean i'm not saying that they are just because of their default innocent i'm just saying that the construct that we have of them is not not masculine right so the thing so so i totally i totally agree and i would add this is what i would add because obviously masculine and feminine also is a construct, yes. right? It, yes. it has to be. Yes. So there's a continuum. Some people would say there's a whatever, right? So it's a way of talking about it. But this is, this is, what, this is what I feel. Right? Again, I'm not like an expert, but, but I, I feel this because I agree with you. If you look through history, you see these different combinations of masculine and feminine in men and in women and whatever else, right? You see all that. And don't ever forget that there is, as, as it seems like an all, so, so my, my walk in life more than anything else has always been that there is no panacea. Like there's no cure-all. Like mm-hmm. there's rules of thumb and there's wisdom. And the wisdom comes from, being able to know when these rules apply, and sometimes they don't. They don't cover every situation. There's times when it doesn't, it doesn't work or whatever it is, and everything has a dark side. So the power to receive, right, can be just as destructive because we have, um, well, for instance, there's in our society, at least, there's also the trope of the mother who loves her children so much she never lets them go. That's right. Right? And so there's always going to be a balance. There's never, if anyone, like in my world, if anyone points to any one group or a people or a thought or an idea and says, if we all just do that, right. it's going to all work out. It's all we all have to do. There's a danger. But in looking at, at this, right, this is what I see. Now, I think we are actually in an age of more masculine women. And when I say masculine, I don't mean in look. I don't mean in attitude. And we can even take that label off. But let's just say this. I believe we're in an era of decision-making women. Hmm. The women are making a lot of decisions. Yep, 
Yeah. And there's a lot of marriages, relationships where what I see is, is that the woman is in charge. De facto. Maybe not in name, but oftentimes in name, but de facto in charge. And the guy, right, is kind of adolescent. He's like a teenager living with his mom a little bit. Like, mm. she's in charge. She's the one that actually makes a lot of the decisions about how we're going to pay the bills. Right. So you, a lot of women that I know are the ones that have the real job, right. like the actual job. A lot of the women that I know are the ones that are organizing shit in the house so shit gets done properly, right? right. And, and, then, and then we have this other thing that's going on where it's this adolescent male who hasn't quite fully embraced his adult self yet, but he's way past adulthood. And he's got like a man cave, he's got his toys, and you can even see like, what is a man cave? But other than a teenager's like room, like that's your room, and you can go in there, and you can say all this crazy stuff, but it's gonna be ineffectual. It's not really gonna change anything. And the real power is outside taking care of everything. And, 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 And I actually think that that is part of what this last gas, I mean, I'm not even going to call it conservative because I have conservative friends who are conservative in, in a lot of different ways and it's not like this, but there seems to be this last gasp for power or something, which is driving, I think, a lot of the, the anger. And mm. I think it's the anger of a lot of men who feel disempowered, but they're not quite sure why. Yeah. Like, where is this coming from? Right. right. I'm not, I don't, and this is, this is one of the reasons why the gun thing is so, so it's so important to a lot of guys. I actually think that a lot of men don't feel dangerous. They mm. don't feel respected. They mm. don't feel whatever this is. And then, but this gun is the last thing people are going to have to deal with. If mm. I get to carry around my gun, then I'm a scary, dangerous guy. And now I can feel like I have some kind of power. Yeah. And this, what I'm saying is not to be laid at the feet of women by any means at all. Absolutely not. They're doing whatever they have to do. But it's, I think it's social. And I think it's because, I honestly think it's because you can't have adults in this society. Mm. You can't raise, if you start raising adults in this society, there's a lot of shit that they're not going to do. And then there's a lot of shit they ain't going to buy. My, my grandpa, right? Like when I think about my own history, Grandpa Jack, Golden Gloves boxer, used to work on a railroad, used to try to get me to go upstairs and listen to his railroad records. And I'd be like, no, I'm not listening to <laughs> records of fucking train. But this guy was like, you know, from the Depression era, he was still a very, whatever. There's a lot, like Lunchables, like an adult, like he would never have, no matter how much his children wanted a Lunchable, he would have never bought that. Mm-hmm. It just seemed crazy them to spend that kind of money for something that's whatever. And I think that goes to a lot of things that, that go to marketing, cars, clothing, jewelry, watches, right. all this stuff that we, these consumer goods that are, that really are meaningless at the end of the day, mm. like really, and, and they're not even worth what we're paying for them really, because the really, really rich people, the real rich people, like there's a whole group of real rich people that have something completely different. Yep. They don't have, well, if you can afford it, you know, from your like, cubicle job is probably not the same thing that the real elites have. Yep. Right? And I think adults know that. Like, I think adults make decisions, better decisions. And I think there's a lot of stuff in our economy that will break down if adults were like, yeah, I'm not buying that. 
I'm not going to fucking buy it. I work too hard for my money. Mm. It's hard to save. I'm not going to get caught up and buy all those things. So I think what's been going on in the last, I'm, I'm going to lay, I'm going to say at the base, because I look at the greatest generation, we call it that, and everyone argues, is it really the greatest generation, blah, blah, blah. But let's just say, that's the last adult kind of like, and then, and then the baby boomers, and it sort of coincides, and I'm not against TV. I love TV. Listen, I love TV. I've watched Dexter all the way through, blah, blah, blah. But I'm just saying, it seems to, co- it seems to coincide with this rise in television and media, which in and of itself is not bad. I think it's the advertising. Yeah. I think it's all the advertising. There's like a ton of that. So I think people have not been raised by our society to be ambitious adults with a purpose and a focus specifically because those types of people will not buy a lot of dumb shit, nor will they go for a lot of the dumb shit that goes on in our society. That's what I really think is going on. That's, that's my personal feeling. And that's why it makes it so hard to transform from trauma. I think that's why I think it creates even more trauma because those boundaries, right? Like there was a time when the authority wasn't your friend. Now all the authorities are want to be your friend too. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So there's certain boundaries that are kind of blurred. And I think that even just makes it a little bit more easier or more confusing about like what people can and can't do or what's going to be harmful or not harmful. And I think that's partially a byproduct of this making everyone more adolescent, more teenage. Mm-hmm. And it's almost, I was just talking to my wife about this because we have a daughter now. And my wife is like, well, you know, she's going to rebel when she turns 16, 17. That's normal. And I had never questioned that. Hmm. Right? Like, I'd never really thought about it. But that's an idea that we've all just, like, totally accepted. And I'm not saying people don't rebel. But you know what? Adults rebel, too. (laughs) You know, so I think about that and I'm like, what? We haven't checked a lot of these assumptions right. that we just accept as true for psychology. That's why I think it's these conversations, your thought process, especially that's why it's so important to take the narrative back and to not allow our identity to be given to us, our language to be given to us. Our, I mean, you speak another uh, language, that native tongue you know, uh, actually, this is fascinating. And now that you have a three-week-old, there is a show you can Google. Um, uh, it was a, uh, this researcher was on Oprah's show in the mid '90s, early '90s, that defined. She did all this research that all babies around the world, up until three months old, speak the exact same language. You guys see, check this out. It's like five five tones that every baby that she did research all around the world in every culture, every society make the fi- make five sounds that are exactly the same. And they all mean the exact same thing. I'm hungry. I'm tired. I'm uncomfortable. Um, two more. I forget five. Right. And I think at our truest self, we're gifted with, we come into this world and this we're all together. And then we come through these paths of, of these communities. You came through the American Indian path. I came through my path. We all come through our different paths. 
And I think our great purpose is to take these paths, what is healthy, and reunite back to our origin in healthy patterns. And in order to do that, we must identify that which is not healthy, Hmm. reject it, and steward those that are coming behind us to say, this path was not healthy. Go down the healthy path and you will be on this path towards health and unification. And, and truly, I, I really believe this, brother. I think every person on planet Earth craves to the essence of their soul two things. They, they crave to be loved and they crave to be affirmed. Just to be, say, just to be told, I see you. I, I know you, I acknowledge you, you matter, you matter. Mm. Whether you're the colossal screw up in the world or not, or whatever you do, you just matter because you're breathing, your, your breath is pumping those lungs. And so all this unaddressed pain and trauma, it's just, I think, a teacher for us to say, hey, I see it, and that's just not the healthy path. Let's go down the hall. Let me ask you a question, Lucas. Yeah. Let's, get, let's just get right down to it. <laughs> if, 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 let's say everybody chooses the healthy path, will the economy look the same? No, it won't. It won't. How will it be different? Because, uh, first of all, the economy is based on consumer, especially – Debt and all that is, is based on consumerism, right? So right. you have to buy in order to keep the machine going. Right. There has to be inflation to perpetuate, ca- you know, put cash into to the economy, which then causes all sorts of other issues. But if we were all down the healthy path, we would steward. I actually, I'm going to answer this. And I just watched this show called Missing Links. This, this geologist said, there's enough food on planet Earth to feed every single person on planet Earth right now. And there's totally enough true. electricity, there's enough electrical sources to power every single home that wants power in their home on planet Earth. Totally true. That I believe that 100%. It's the structure to get things to those people is not conducive to making money. It's just not. People, how am I going to make money? And so then the question is, why do we produce what we produce and all these philosophical questions that I think are valid, but it will change the makeup of our economy. It will change the makeup of society and yeah. it should. And it should because how, what type of arrogance can one say that this, this is Nirvana? This is not Nirvana. So if it's not right. Nirvana, <laughs> why am I trying to protect that which is not Nirvana? And yet the reason why this podcast is called the golden rule revolution I do believe in being revolutionary, but I reject the path of violence. I reject the notion that, that to destroy is the only way to build. That is counterintuitive, I think, to just that which is nature. I think right. the path is take a seed of the good and plant it in a different environment and cultivate that. And then people that are feeding off that seed that is not good in that negative environment will see and say, oh, I want to choose that. Okay. So, okay. So first of all, I'm super happy to hear you say, right? Like obviously, because the economy would have to change. Yes. Because it's producing unhealthiness. Yes. Yeah. Okay. 
And I'm super, I love that. And I agree with that. I agree with that. I think right now in our society, we're like, got so many gurus that are trying to have it both ways. They're like, yes. we need to change society, but we still, we, we still need to get rich. And I'm, I'm really looking at that and being like, we're like at the tail end of that. Like we're, there's the clear, those two are not going to come together. Yes. They can't. Yes. They have it. But a lot of, a lot of, a lot of people that want to do a revolution or they want to make a social change, they want to have both because they're afraid of lack. Yes. They're afraid. Okay. But on top of all of that, I would say this too. I think it's going to be so revolutionary because, because nature also is a destructive force. Yes. It is. Yes. So you, you know, when you watch, like, I love nature, but like when you watch a gazelle get eaten by a lion, when you watch, there's a YouTube video. I recommend everyone go see this because it's the most gruesome thing you've ever seen. But what it is, it's a polar bear eating a walrus. Wow. It's a polar bear eating a walrus. It's, and it's, everything's white and it's the bloodiest thing. And you watch that and you realize, you know what? Uh, nature's beautiful, but nature also contains its own destructive natures. And I believe human beings have the capacity to rethink even all of that, 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 that even we have the capacity to um, realize new beginnings yes. that will be beyond just the default, which is that's nature. And a lot of times the reason why people like nature so much is because they think like, oh, well, human beings aren't a part of that. And, and, and so therefore it's innocent and pure. However, Human beings are a product of nature. Yeah, we are. Like, right. I, yeah, yeah, no, totally. We're part of this <laughs> nature. So for, so for everything, every time someone hates what human beings are a part of, which is my wife, she's vegan, I always remind her, I'm like, listen, we're pro nature made us this way. Yeah. Like nature produced us. It's now us to take our higher faculties to then realize something different. Yes. Right? Something yes. new, something different, which I totally... I totally support that. Um, but sometimes when I, when I listen to people talk about the environment, including my wife whom I love, but sometimes like, and they say like, well, the world's going to end in like, you know, a thousand years or it, everything's going to hell in a handbasket. And I'm not, I'm not arguing that we shouldn't do take care of our planet at all. I'm just saying sometimes when they talk like that, it sure sounds a lot like, like, like revelation. It's just, yeah. it's not Christian. Yeah. It's science-based, but it's the same attitude. But if you were to tell people, you want to know what's really freaks people out when you go, you know what? Everything's going to be okay eventually. Yeah, no, totally. Right? I was at- Human, oh beings, human beings will make it. Oh my like, gosh. Right? Like if you tell people like, listen, yes, we are fucked up. And yes, yeah. there's a lot to clean up. But human beings in the end will yeah. make it. And not only will they make it, but they'll be the reason why we make it. That's right. And that will cause such a- you tell people the world's going to explode or you tell people it's going to burn up or whatever. Yeah. No one questions that. Everyone's like, that's yeah. right. You're yeah. absolutely right. Now you're thinking. But then you say, you know what the solution is? It's a human being. Then yeah. people are like, wow, you're crazy. Yeah. You're out of your mind. I think, um, and I, well, I want to I wrap this. Actually, I want to do another episode with you. And so let's, okay. let's do a part two, three, four. We got, there's more to, to discuss. I um, but I want to say about that narrative of everything's going to be okay. I went to Walmart the other day um, on my way into a client's office, and um, I went into Walmart. Specifically, I bought one apple, one grapefruit, one orange, and put it uh, in 
in my hand, I walk up to the counter and this woman who had crystals all over, she was wearing crystals and <laughs> and this woman was struggling. And mm. just, I, I mean, if she, her emotional state was in the sewage and I could just see it and feel it on her and I'm looking at her and she never looked up at me the whole time and she just was taking the stuff and checking it and I felt like clear as day, tell this woman, everything's going to be okay. And I'm like, uh, wait, what? You know, this is just, just in my mind, like tell her everything's going to be okay. And I'm like, okay. I was like, I was like, sister. And she didn't look up and I go, sister. She goes, yeah, still didn't look up. I go, sister. She looks up at me and this probably, this woman's probably in her late forties, early fifties. And I said, everything's going to be okay. And she looked at me. I, I actually get choked up. She's like, I hope so. I hope so. Wow. I mean, I, I have the chills all over my body. I mean, right now I have the chills remembering that she, and I just like, I walked to the office like, whoa, I just told someone, I felt like I was supposed to tell them everything. And I don't know who knows what's going on in her world, but that narrative of everything is going to be okay. Right. It is going to be okay. And that's the message that you want to change society. You want to change our economy. You want to change the culture. You want to change the narrative. You want to change literally everything. You want to be different than the revelation, fear-based, control-minded narrative uh, keeps everyone slave to power. You tell them it's going to be okay. Wow. Wow, man. I'm just trying to imagine you walking into an office. And without saying anything, just looking at an office worker and just, I mean, saying, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. That's a big risk. Yeah. It's a risk on your part. I mean, that's on some level, some people would look at that and be like, that's just, that's just crazy. <laughs> that guy's right? crazy. And maybe right? I am, but I'm crazy. No, I'm just saying that from everything... the outside, people don't do that. No. People don't do that. That's not one of the accepted modes. No. And you're just like locked in, you had an instinct. And you yeah. said everything's going to be okay. I mean, God, I wish we could have filmed that. Oh, man. And she, she, it was like, it was like I scooped her soul up from the ground and just put it back into her. She was, I mean, she, it was like, I, I hope so. I, I'm like, man, what are you dealing with that you're not sure if it's going to be okay? And I, I mean, dude, who knows? Who knows? We've all been through hell. I was raised in hell. I know hell. And guess Shit, what? I got family members. I got family members who aren't even in hell. Like some people, okay, you had a traumatic, that makes sense. Some yeah. people, it's like their shoelace is untied and the world's coming to an end. Some people, it might not even be that. Yeah, that's right. But okay, and, and we got and we gotta wrap this, but and, that's why I say everyone's trauma is unique to, unique to their freedom, right? Right. It could be the most traumatic thing to them because that's their sensitivity on earth. I don't know. Right. But I know what you're saying. Is right, you know, but yeah, it's brother. I love you. I am with you. Everyone, how can people find you? Because first of all, let's just your Instagram account, Chumaj, yes. a profound spiritual, uh, a drinker of that. I don't know. I, I, when I read your writings, it is like you have tapped into the, the ethereal realm of truth and you bring it down and you put it on paper so please tell people how to find you on instagram 
Okay, so it's Chumahan, my name, C-H-U-M-A-H-A-N underscore, Chumahan. And uh, all my poems, all my insights are up there. They're all written on legal pads because I'm an attorney. I come to my office at like four in the morning and for like an hour I work on, on the poetry. Uh, I also have a podcast, although it's not as beautifully um, spiritual as yours it does. It's, it's a podcast called The Hard Luck Show. And this is really about my partner, Steve, Lucky Luciano, who did years of prison in state prison, right? And it's, he came out and he knows all these people who did life and all of the troubles and the overcoming and all the stories and all, it's phenomenal. Everything from how a guy can forgive himself when he accidentally killed someone and did 36 years. To how somebody gets heroin into prison. Mm. It's pretty fascinating. And then LA street culture. So those two things. Wow. Uh, and of course, anybody who wants legal services, I can tell you right now, I'm like one of the best lawyers around. Um, <laughs> That's right. I'm, I'm, Bowen. Go, go ahead. Go, no, go, go for it. And I was just going to say, okay. I'm going to download your podcast right now. Okay. So it's ovandobowen.com. I'm the Bowen. My wife is my partner. And, uh, uh, we do everything, uh, IP, intellectual property, uh, business litigation, in case you want to get out. But, dude, honestly, do download it. But just know it is real. It is raw. Uh, sometimes there will be an, uh, 30 minutes of me doing an in-depth analysis on Julius Caesar and whether or not my partner Steve has a right to talk about the time that he robbed the bank. Wow. It's amazing. I, I, I want to <laughs> say, which I love, you know, you, you know, Oh, this is great. So I just subscribed and you know, at the bottom of iTunes or the podcast app, it says you model, you might also like you're the first one that comes up hot boxing with Mike Tyson, Mike Tyson's uh, that's the first one. So awesome. to live and die in LA and the third one, the Joe Rogan experience, which is my I favorite, love it. favorite podcast. Is, and I'm going to listen to yours. So thank you. Please, It's an unflinching look and at, at street life. It's an unflinching look at, at, at men. It's an unflinching look at our childhoods and how we got to where we got. The first episodes are, uh, our guest is uh, Estevan Oriol, who is photographed Dr. Dre, photographed Eminem. Wow. He went to Af uh, Afghani prison and photographed the Taliban. Uh, this guy started out just on the street, made his way all the way around the world with a camera. Unbelievable. Wow. Wow. Great stories about smoking weed on an airplane. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Well, I'm going to put, uh, I'm going to put the, the, your Instagram account in the show notes, your podcast in the show notes and your law firm, uh, site in the show notes and brother, thank you so much for coming on the show today. All right. Thank you. Anytime you want me to come back, please. You know, I love it. I yeah, love you. I love you too. I love you. I love All you. right. My brother Thank Bear. So much. Love you, man. All right, bye. All right, standing bear. That's right. Out. That I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. Chumahan Bowen, what an incredible man. An American Indian, a, an attorney, a poet, a philosopher, and just a passionate soul. And he 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 really wants to stand for what is right. And um, when I first met him. Uh, we just had an incredible connection. And so it's been a while. We tried to, to work this out and I'm glad it worked out to get him on the show. My friends, there are so many amazing things happening. First of all, I want to acknowledge you for listening to this podcast. 
I, I, I've expressed my gratitude, which I'm incredibly grateful for you listening, but I want to acknowledge you for listening. This narrative, even the podcast that you just listened to between Chumahan and myself, I, I am a podcast junkie. I listen to a lot of narrative. There's so many brilliant people out there. And yet, in addition to all the great narrative, this conversation, this type of conversation is so important. And I acknowledge you for listening. I acknowledge you for being a golden rule revolutionary to treat people like people and nothing less. So thank you so much for joining, listening. I ask you to share this podcast to rate it, to subscribe and download and help grow the audience for this because we are moving towards a great movement, a movement that heals people, heals the hurting and gives safe spaces for people to process all the pain and trauma that they have. For more information on me, go to my website, lucasmack.com or go to my newly formed um, nonprofit, vulnerableheroes.org. Find me on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or LinkedIn. Thank you for listening. My name is Lucas Mack, and I'll talk to you on the next episode.